Welcome to the Ben Don't Break podcast. I am Aaron Schweitzer, your host, along with everyone's favorite reporter, Laurel Bronze. This podcast is powered by The Source Weekly, Ben's locally owned newspaper. We are supported by Worthy Brewing, putting education first, utilizing green technologies, and experimenting daily to brew the best damn beer in the Pacific Northwest, all while treading as lightly on the earth as possible. They live out their mantra, earth first, beer second. Our guest today is Josh Lerner, state economist. He has a BA in economics from the University of Colorado, BS in economics from Portland State University. He is an economist with the Oregon Office of Economic Analysis, develops forecasts for unemployment, income, and housing. He is the state's, quote, de facto vice economist, forecast revenue for Oregon Lottery, Oregon Judicial Department, marijuana and tobacco taxes. His work has been cited in The Economist, Financial Times, NPR, New York Times, and Washington Post. Josh, thanks for taking the time. Of course, no, thanks for having me. Um, I wanted, a lot is being made about, uh, in economic circles, about Oregon's reserves and, and our ability to kind of confront the impact of COVID head on uh, in the short term. Could you just enlighten listeners to what that really means and how far that can go? Yeah, so so from a policy perspective, right, this is really the first time Oregon has had substantial reserves when confronted with an economic downturn. And now it's not enough. It's not going to cover the entire projected shortfall that, that we're putting in our forecast. Um, but still, uh, we're somewhere, you know, one and a half to two billion dollars in actual reserves for, for the state of Oregon, which is about 9% of the general fund, um, which is a, a substantial amount. Uh, and then prior to the onset of the recession, uh, you know, there was a projected another billion dollars as an ending balance. That was unspent money that, you know, our forecast said we expect so much money. They didn't, you know, the legislature and policymakers didn't spend all of it. Uh, so there's about a billion kind of sitting there. Now we reduced our forecast substantially uh, due to the recession and the pandemic. So it kind of ate up that $1 billion plus some extras, but, but it acted like an effective reserve. So we were in the neighborhood of two and a half to $3 billion in effective reserves prior to the recession. So, so it definitely will help with the shortfall, definitely help with the budget, but it's not going to be enough to, to, to fill the gap of lost revenues plus the increase in demand for services for people, uh, you know, looking for, for healthcare assistance, you know, the Medicaid and, and the like. Sure. How does, um, I mean, always floating out there is the specter of the kicker and everybody in Oregon getting excited about will we, won't we. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I think everybody's aware there's no kicker coming, but uh, how does that play into um, how Oregon's finances work and, and what it means? Yeah. Actually, how would we have gotten, had this not happened, I'm imagining there would have been some kind of kick. Uh, we were getting close. Our forecast, you know, as of March, we released in February, um, you know, we were, oh gosh, halfway, two thirds of the way towards the kicker threshold. Yeah. Uh, so, so if the economy would have kept humming better than expected, uh, then yeah, we might have kicked again. And, and that would have been, you know, four, four by any in a row. We hit three in a row. Um, you know, our office, there's a little bit of misconception potentially about the kicker um, that it's unneeded revenue, that the state took in more than it needed, so we're going to return it to taxpayers. Um, that's not exactly how it works. The exact mechanism that it works 
is when revenues come in more than 2% above our forecast, right? It's our forecast that is the baseline for the kicker projection or the kicker calculation. And so when the revenues come in above our forecast over a two year period, that excess or the, all, not sorry, you know, all the money above our forecast uh, is then returned to taxpayers. And, and so, you know, we, we had a big one last biennium that everyone was getting this year. Obviously the tax filing was delayed. You know, you don't have to file until July now. Um, but, but Oregonians are getting quite a large kicker this year as a result of our forecast errors from, uh, at this point, three years ago. Okay. Yeah. So essentially, if, is the kicker a, if, if you're doing your job well, we shouldn't get a kicker. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and and it, it's, it's, so the one silver lining to the kicker is that it really helps us try to put out our best guess. Uh, being within 2% over a two-year period is really tough. We've only done it twice in our office forecast where we've come in a little above forecast, but not all the way to the 2% threshold. We've only done that twice in 40 years. Um, but, but you know, it, it does make us do our best forecast that we can, but it, you know, it's really challenging to, to predict some of these things multiple years in the future. Josh, do you know how many other states have a kicker? Uh, we are the only state that has a kicker. Wow. Wow. I knew it was a rare bird, but I, I didn't realize it was that rare. Um, hey, so one of the other questions I have is I, I can imagine lottery, given the closures for bars and restaurants, has, has not flourished. Um, however, marijuana seems to be all the rage right now. How, do those, how do those meet out? I mean, I know lottery is pretty massive i read the billboards uh but does how does marijuana play into the equalizer in that doesn't um, yeah so, so two things uh, first on the marijuana or, or first on the lottery right lottery generally referred to as the second largest source of revenue outside of personal income taxes at least in terms yeah. of discretionary that they have the legislature and policymakers have some control over how it's spent they can allocate it a lot of the other things like gas taxes, which brings in a lot of money, those are dedicated to roads, right? You, you can't really mess right. with that funding. Um, lottery is very large in the state budget portion. Um, you know, somewhere, somewhere roughly $700 million a year, probably, uh, on, on net after you pay all the administrative costs and the prizes and things like that. And, and marijuana is closer to $100 million, so, so they're not of the same scale. Right. So, so lottery is down as the bars and restaurants were shut down. Uh, all the video lottery terminals in the state were turned off and for about a seven, eight week period. Now they're coming back online. People are going out to eat and stuff and, and those sales are coming back pretty strong. Um, but, but yeah, the, during the shutdown, there's a lot of lost revenue, which isn't necessarily bad. That means, that means there's more money staying in the pockets of Oregon households in an uncertain time. Uh, it just means less state revenue. Um, and so yeah, marijuana brings in about a hundred million dollars a year. So, so it's certainly, assist the budget. It helps fill some needs and some gaps, but um, it, it certainly doesn't plug big holes in, in right. large scale. Well, yet, because at the rate Oregonians are starting to smoke because of this COVID, there, there are concerns. I've seen alcohol revenue is spiking as well, so taxes for that are growing. Yeah, absolutely. We're doing a really good job of self-medicating um, through the <laughs> pandemic and, and right. bringing in much larger revenue than expected. Um, and that's about the only sources that are that have been going up above higher than expected uh, in, in recent months. So, you know, PERS is always the elephant in the room in campaigns and in discussions about the budget. And 
how does that discussion or that economic necessity play in during a crisis like this? What happens? You know, it's a tough one um, because every dollar you're paying out in retirement benefits uh, is a dollar less than what you're paying out for operations today. Um, and, and this is challenging, you know, uh, from a budgetary perspective. Um, and, and I guess on the bright side is, is that the asset markets and stock market valuations and the like, they don't look right now like the economy looks and they've held up or, or they, they plunged, but now they're mostly all the way back. Um, so, so there's, it, it's probable, I, you know, speaking halfway through the year is always challenging from a financial investment perspective, but, um, you know, it's probable that the PERS deficit's not going to grow substantially like it normally does in a recession, so long as these, these asset markets stay high. So, so maybe it's less of a problem than maybe expected three months ago, six months ago. Yeah, but still weighing down on the budget. It is, right? And at this point... Um, you know, if you talk to the people at PERS or in the budget offices and the like, you know, you, they kind of use the, the, you know, the snake, you know, the, the, the rat in the python analogy, right. um, where we have this big growing retirement benefit that's going to need to be paid out to the older workers, the, the retired, you know, the tier one workers. Um, they're not all retired yet, but here in about a decade, right? So we're about a decade out from the worst of the situation in terms of PERS as a share of share of the budget or share of payroll. So um, it, it's been a slow moving uh, situation and it's not over yet. Um, but, you know, the, the end is somewhat near and the, and the budget folks are a little more optimistic than you might think just looking at some of the, the cold numbers. Right. Looking a little closer to home, I, I don't know whether... Laurel pulled the graph off your blog post or whether you sent it, but uh, Laurel's nodding that it was a pull. Uh, it's an interesting graph uh, with the circle showing headwinds and hardest hits uh, for people who are getting video. It looks something like this. Uh, and Central Oregon uh, has a really special place in that graph kind of higher than uh, most other communities in the state, a little lower than North Coast, and just trying to get into the uh, future tailwind category. Um, can you speak to like what, uh, what you think is really hammering Central Oregon and, and where you think it's headed? Yeah, yeah, so, so from, a, from a regional perspective, a local perspective, I think there's three things I think you should keep in mind. First is this initial severity of the recession, this initial shutdown and, and loss of jobs and income and the like, um, you know, is hitting uh, the places that have larger tourism uh, sectors, larger travel, leisure and hospitality, however you want to talk about it. Um, the places that have a larger component of their economy dedicated to that, um, you know, have seen the worst of it. So yeah, North Coast, um, right. the whole North Central Coast uh, here in Central Oregon, um, and in uh, Hood River, right up in the gorge. And right. those are the places that have been the hardest hit to date uh, due to the nature of their economy. And we shut down bars and restaurants, people aren't getting on planes. Um, you know, maybe they're starting to travel a little bit more if we look at the highway traffic data. Uh, but, but again, maybe those are more day trips and not overnight trips. So, so those are the places that have been most impacted to date. And so you see that in those Central Oregon numbers, all, right. three, all three counties in Central Oregon, the Chutes, Crook and Jefferson have been hard hit. Um, so, so that's the bad news. Um, the good news 
is is looking forward uh, where the leading edge of the data is all getting better whether it's the may the may employment data didn't get worse it got a little bit better than in april um, some of the consumer spending data and the income data are showing some improvements so so there's a chance the worst of it's behind us there could be another shoe that drops we could have another leg to the downturn but um, the leading edge of the data is getting a little bit better so, so that's a, potentially a silver lining but but if we think about future growth uh, there's really two things for future economic growth. It's, uh, uh, it's how many workers do you have in, in your economy, and then how productive are they? What are, you know, in, in the, the bubble charts there, it's kind of getting at the, the industrial structure. Do you have a lot of jobs in healthcare? Do you have a lot of jobs in professional business services, office-based work? Right. We're expected to do really well in, in Central Oregon, Deschutes in particular, um, has a lot of those jobs, and, and those are expected to do well. So, so provided that there's not a local... There's not a special local problem holding back the economic, economic growth and the recovery. Uh, you would think Central Oregon will do well in the years to come because they have a lot of stuff in the industry is expected to do well themselves. Do you, uh, numbers are hard to track, but telecommuting would seem like something that Central Oregon, especially now that people are realizing increasingly that they, can, they are now part of, um, Seems like that could be a boom. Do you track those kind of folks? Do you have any idea how many of those people there are in communities? In a roundabout way. Um, the best data source we have um, is, comes from the Census Bureau. Uh, it's a, it's a the, the actual calculation is whether you work from home or not. Do you commute into the office? You know, it's really a commute question. Do you, right. you know, take you five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes to get into the office? Um, or do you work from home? Uh, now, working from home doesn't mean you're a remote worker. You could be an independent consultant. You could be a remote worker. You could own your own business, right, and just not have a physical office space. You run it out of your right. your, your extra bedroom or, or your garage. Uh, so that's really the best option we have. And, and of course, Bend is a national leader on that. Or Deschutes County is a national leader. They they you know tend to be somewhere in the top five. In the latest data, Deschutes County was fifth highest in the nation for remote workers. About one in eight people that live in Deschutes County that has a job, wow. works from home. They don't go into an office on a regular basis. So, um, in all and of- That's pre-pandemic, and you're talking, that's pre-pandemic. Yeah. Pre-pandemic, and right. all of Oregon does well on these, these metrics, um, but Bend, Bend is far and away one of the national leaders in that. Yeah. I'm gonna have to start looking in more people's windows to figure out what they're doing. I know they're in there. I go down, my brother's actually a tele, teleworker and three of the people on his street are, they go out with their, um, my nieces and their daughters and they all converse and then they go back in their house and work. And uh, I've been looking inside mm -hmm. as I go down the street, trying to figure out how many of them there are. But uh, Laurel, did you have um, a question for Josh? Sure, Josh. Um, I noticed you're a very prolific writer, which I appreciate so much. Um, you recently did a blog about um, um, black men getting hit the hardest during economic downturns in Oregon, which I thought was really interesting. It, it at least looked to me like that community was the most vulnerable. And I was just wondering if you could kind of like talk about some parallels with now. I mean, at least it seems like on a national level, I think I heard something like 50% of the people that have been laid off have been African-Americans. So you just speak to that data a little bit. Yes, and, and, and 
um, in recognizing where we are as a country, um, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to include more of the socioeconomic data beyond just standard employment and unemployment rates and county level stuff, right, which is what, what we've been doing for decades. And, and, and one of the things we do, and, and our, our demographer in our office is great, is look at some of the, through the lens of equity and inclusion and on the on the downturn side the current data um, we don't have a lot of data yet uh, it looks like in Oregon the people that have been laid at least the people filing for initial claims for unemployment insurance tend to be really fairly representative of all workers in Oregon there didn't seem to be a lot of racial disparities in the initial claims data yet uh, but that's a little unusual as you're saying they're typically um, our communities of color and our lower income workers and the like uh, are, are generally bear the brunt of downturn. In this case, it's certainly low wage workers with the bars and restaurants and nail salons being shut down and the like. Um, but, but yeah, when it comes to some of these other outcomes, um, unfortunately, the research has borne out over decades that, that even if you adjust for your level of educational attainment, even if you adjust for how long you've been employed, whether you're a young worker or an older worker with a lot of experience, um, whether you adjust for what occupation or region of the country you're living, you can adjust for all of these sort of things um, and it never fully explains the gaps you see in employment rates and income and poverty and all these other sort of things that we care about. Um, you know, standard data and theories and models can't fully explain it. And, and so, what does explain it? Well, then it's a little bit harder. What are we leaving out of these standard models? Uh, measures of social discrimination or outright bias or, or things like that is generally what researchers kind of ascribe to that kind of that, that part you can't explain by normal data or standard economic data um, is where you kind of see some of those, some of these larger societal issues crop up in the data or in the modeling. Hmm. Do you see that in other classes outside of African-Americans? Absolutely, you, you see it across the board and, and you, you, you see it one, sometimes people will, will mention just as an example, you know, Asian households or Asian workers. Um, well, there a lot of the, you know, the higher incomes and better employment data for, for Asian Americans and, and, and Oregonians um, has a lot to do with this level of schooling. They have higher levels of educational attainment. Once you control for educational attainment, um, you know, generally speaking, that not necessarily seeing higher employment or higher income either. So, so it really is across the board. Um, but our, our American Indian, Alaska Native, and Black communities um, are the ones that see a lot of the, the worst socioeconomic outcomes when you look at the, the detailed census data. Um, Josh, let's talk about 2021. 2021. Um, you've written, I know you guys are always trying to peer as far ahead into the future as you can. Um, and a lot of the stuff that we've been, we've benefited from in 2020 and in this initial surge probably or may not be there in 2021. What are you guys, as you start rolling out your models, seeing for the end of this year and, and heading into 2021? So, so in our baseline forecast, um, you know, things will be growing, things will be getting better. We'll still be in a bad economic shake. You know, we think it's, you know, our forecast right now says it's going to take four years to get back to a healthy economy. Um, it's going to be a long slog. Uh, now, that's faster than what we saw last decade, but it's still, it's not going to happen overnight in our current baseline outlook and our thinking. Um, so come this winter and into the spring, um, yeah, jobs will be growing. We'll have a nice rebound. I think in the next couple of months, the next couple, handful of quarters, 
um, you know, we should see really good economic growth. And I think we've started to see that on some of the income and consumer spending stuff. Um, as, as the social distancing stuff's lifted, things will come back. We'll get a nice snapback in economic activity, but it won't be complete. It won't be 100%. Uh, the real risk lie uh, in, in, in what we call permanent damage. How many businesses are going to close uh, in right. the months ahead? And as these bars and restaurants come back, how large is the secondary impact of, of you know, professional business services or manufacturing firms and the like, um, how many of those are going to close as that first round of economic pain is still filtering through the economy? That's not done, right? Even though bars right. and restaurants are coming back, um, the full brunt of the recession hasn't fully worked its way through the economy. So we're worried about that other shoe dropping, so to speak. Um, what, Josh, what's your, what's your percentage of, uh, what was the term you used, permanent economic damage <laughs> yeah um it's a great concept and what makes a great concept is squishy numbers um <laughs> it's hard to know um even you know running a business is hard um entrepreneurship is really challenging even in good economic times about one out of every 10 companies close in oregon pretty similar nationwide um and and so that's in good times we know we're not in good times so how high does that go it's hard to know it went up to 14, 15% during the Great Recession. So it increased by about 50%, or five percentage points, but about 50%, right? Yeah. Um, I suspect it's going to be worse than that this time. Uh, but how, I, how bad? I've know. heard numbers as high as 30. Are you guys seeing those kind of numbers? We won't know, but yeah, you know, in that 20 to 30% range, I wouldn't be surprised. Right. There's some research at the national level that says after a natural disaster, it's 40%. That comes from FEMA. Type right. research after a natural disaster hurricanes and stuff um you know if we get that high we're we're in a whole nother world of pain and, and, right. and challenges um so so i pray it's not that high what do you see on the unemployment number front so right now it's a little hard to parse um if you look at the number of claims filed for unemployment insurance um, they continue to go up they continue to be record bad news indicating an unemployment rate north of 20 percent and that's what we had in our forecast right uh, but if you look at the data that came out for april and for may nationwide or here in oregon now we got the we got the may oregon employment report yesterday um you know it's 14 percent, 14.2 percent so so there's a little bit of a gap between some of the measures of economic pain and what the official statistics say now that doesn't mean the official statistics are wrong uh, if you dig into them, it doesn't look like there's a lot of goofy stuff going on where the, you know, things get miscoded or, or, or the like. Um, so we're trying to wrap our heads around why is it? Why are things, there's no way, there's no way you don't slice it that things aren't bad. Things are better, sure. yeah. but they're not as bad as we expected the data to show. Um, and, and so there's kind of two avenues of thought there. Um, one is things are just fundamentally better than we expected. We were too pessimistic. The economy is more resilient than we expected. Uh, and, and that's the, the good news, the good news story. Right. The bad news story would be that other shoes still to drop, that the data is not being, the data, the, the data is impeccable. The data is not being, fu you know, funged at all. Um, I, I, I don't think that's a concern at all. Um, despite what you read on Twitter. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> well, I try not to, but that's a whole nother story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It, it, but we could see another round of firm closures and layoffs when some of the federal assistance ends. 
you know, the PPP loans, this Paycheck Protection Program lending for small businesses, that was supposed to last eight weeks. That eight weeks is up now, or, you know, here in the next couple of weeks, depending right. upon when a company got the money. So, so what happens next? The unemployment insurance benefits for laid off workers uh, is ends in July. What happens next? You know, so, so maybe there's a chance that the data is better than expected due to these policies that are good policies. Um, but if they're not extended or there's nothing put in place, um, again, we, we might see worse data here in a couple of months. Do you, do you guys factor at all for, I can't tell whether it's an urban myth or, or an actuality that there's a lot of people who just aren't taking work while the CARES money is in action and that it's going to, it, really you're going to see unemployment or employment numbers vacillate wildly starting in August. You know, in theory, that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, where where the extra $600 a week um, really boosts income for low-wage workers who've been impacted the most. Um, we hear some anecdotal stories, um, but it, I don't know how wide-scale of an issue it is. Um, if it really is a problem where people aren't going back to work because of the benefits, um, and, and it's really just a temper, it's just a mismatch there, you know, right. that will fix itself in July because the money's going away. If it really, if that's what's holding back the economy, I, I don't think it is, but if that's what's holding back the economy, you know, come August, everything will be fixed then. Right. Um, but I don't, I don't think everything's going to be fixed in August. And I don't think that is actually holding back the economy in a large sense. I'm sure on some individual basis, it, it comes into play, but not, not economy wide. Yeah, the anecdotal stories are funny. We hear a lot of them. The the people getting kicking back on on cares money, but but not taking chef positions or whatever it was they used to do. And mountain biking. I mean, we're here in Bend, so of course there's a lot of semi professional mountain bikers right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, Laurel, did you have any any other questions for? No, I mean, I just, I'd be interested in, I mean, you write so much. I'd be interested in like what's top of mind right now for you that we didn't cover here. Um, I, I think we, we, we touched on them, right? I think, I think we have to acknowledge that the data is looking better than we thought. We thought it'd be near depression level data. And now we just have a bad recession, right? And, 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 and so we're trying to come up, trying to understand what is going on. Is, is it really that good news story, which we hope it is, um, or is there just some of the data is not, is catching up to the facts on the ground still. And so um, we're, we're concerned about that, um, obviously, and we're concerned about, you know, risk to the outlook and both, both upside and downside. The, the uncertainty is so large right now, larger than normal in a forecasting process. Um, it's all driven by the public health side of things. And I don't think we have any clarity on the public health side of things uh, and, and all the news around the country and even locally in Oregon um, has been bad on, on the public health side of things with the increase in the caseloads and, and you know, the outbreak in LaGrande at the church and everything, right? You know, um, has us more worried that, that, that the health side of things isn't going to improve anytime soon. Right? And so that, that is another risk that we're watching closely. Not that we can do anything about it ourselves, but it, it, it factors into our thinking. Yeah, but that caseload is so low that has got to be part of the part of the part of the positive economic outlook that's moving this thing forward a little bit. I mean, tourism numbers here are going up, and that's based on the fact that I believe people are becoming less fearful than than they had been. 
Yeah, it, I saw you guys reported the other week, um, right, that the hotel occupancy was up to 64% or something like that for Memorial Day weekend. Yeah. That's, that's really high, right? You know, or at least relative to where it had been. It's in relatively high, days. sure. Um, it's back I, down to 45 right now, I think we said okay. for the last weekend. Laurel's reporting on that, right? <laughs> yeah, right. So I had missed the latest update, right? You can't run a hotel at 40% occupancy, right? I guess right. You can't you, you can't do that. But the that rebound, at least on the holiday, was um, was – surprising and to the extent that the cases aren't going to spike um you know i think that's that's good news people are feeling confident going out yeah um josh i'm I'm just curious what what does an economics economist says like yourself do uh with your free time with you know just things that you're in your interest your number interest Oh, numbers interest? Yeah, just like what are, what are things that you just like to look into? I mean, obviously, you're, you're very bright with regard to these kind of um, statistics, yeah. and that's got to lead you into some pretty interesting quarters. You know, anything I can put numbers to that I enjoy is, is fun. And, and in a lot of ways, I can work this into my day job, right? Over the last handful of years, really branched out into beer production data, right? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, so, so that's fun, and I can incorporate that, you know, I, I don't drink on the job, although you might think I do based on my <laughs> sometimes, but, um, uh, you know, bringing that in because that's, that's an economic driver and particularly right. in central Oregon, right? That's a lot right. of jobs and production. Um, that just, you know, when we, my family, when we travel around the state and stuff, learning about different communities, uh, in a nerdy way through the lens of the census data, um, you know, is interesting. Right. My wife, you know, she has the same sort of problem I do. So we do that. We, we find we like that. So, yeah. And you can I, feel it, right? As you drive around or if you visit places, you can feel it when you stop in different cities or whatnot. What, you know, the socioeconomic situation looks like, the age demographics, obviously the race or ethnicity is easier to view through the our, our own lens and, and the like. And, 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 and just kind of seeing how that compares to different parts is, you know, I find fun, which I know most people wouldn't. I just I I wish I was smart enough to look at the census data before I traveled to communities to figure it out. I think that's incredible. It's great, Josh. Um, anything you'd like to close with? We're running out of time. It's great to have you. No, I I think yeah. In in central, another thing I just plug is that in Central Oregon, um, I think both of those components for growth for the economy both the labor force growth, the types of people that are moving, the skills they're bringing, plus the local industrial structure. Um, you know, I, I think the Central Oregon will continue to do well. Um, the growing pains are real, but I, I think, you know, the growth will continue to be solid and to be good um, uh, for, for Oregon. And it's, it's obviously uh, a national leader in a lot of regards in terms of economic growth and gains too. So I think, I don't think that will change. Um, but but I, I, I think, you know, I think the future's still bright, even though the pain is real right now, the future's still right. Well, I'll look forward to seeing our little central bubble move more towards the tailwind side of the graph and uh, we'll get, we'll get happier data. <laughs> yes. That, that, that is hope. <laughs> Josh, thanks a lot for being part of the podcast and um, yeah, good luck. All right. Thanks everyone. Or thanks Thank for- you. Bye. Bye.